Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. If you um, have your Bible this morning, I need someone to get Acts 14, 21, and 22. Uh, Fred, if you get that, Adam, Acts 15, 36. Uh, Proverbs 17, 17. Who will get that? Uh, Dave, um, uh, Philippians 1, 8. Um, if someone would get that. Hector, Philippians 1, 8. If you'd get that for me, please. And so uh, Mark 9.42, Billy, if you get that, Mark 9.42, Proverbs 6.16 6, through 19, uh, Proverbs 6.16 6, uh, through 19, um, my mind. Mark, um, get old, amen, that's an excuse he has, Mark 6.16 6, through 19. Okay, um, so we've been looking a few weeks, just a very simple class, and uh, a lot of this not new to any of you. Uh, you've been involved in various things, but follow up. Um, and um, uh, the reason I'm doing this class is because the desperate need uh, of personal follow up. And so um, uh, what that means is, is uh, there's a number of dynamics as a church gets larger. Um, people slip through the cracks. Uh, people can come and go, and no one really knows what's happening. Uh, if you've ever been in a church, I've pioneered a number of churches. When you're 30, 35 people, everybody who walks through the door, you just overwhelm them. You're so glad to see them, so appreciate them. Uh, there's uh, desperate needs, or even a church of 60, 70 people. Uh, even a, but you begin to... Older churches with more people, you have your relationships. Sometimes you've had relationships for years. You've been raised in this church maybe. And so you've got friends, uh, you've got relationships, you've got family. And so it's not like you're, you're desperate uh, to have a friend or build a relationship. Uh, uh, you already have those things. Maybe you're married, you've got family, you've got children, etc. You're in ministry. And so what happens, people come into the church um, and they pray a prayer or they come and no one really builds a relationship with them. No one reaches out to them. Uh, no one connects with them. Um, and we do have, we have follow-up classes and et cetera. Uh, but I'm talking about more than just a class. I'm talking about having a heart uh, for people. I'm talking about uh, where you, your desire uh, is to, you're, you're willing to expend yourself, move outside of your comfort zone because you want to help see another individual make it for God. And if we'd be honest, I think most of us, uh, I know Connie and I did for sure, we had someone follow up on us. Uh, someone from the church that really took an interest in us, built a relationship with us, um, uh, became friends. Uh, we had no friends in the church. All of our friends uh, uh, were unsaved people, uh, people that uh, we didn't need them leading us. We didn't need their influence anymore. And so what happened uh, is this couple, Dion and Natalie Thompson, they, nothing like us. And so one of the lies of hell is you don't have to be like them. It's probably good you're not like them. Uh, but uh, so I just want to throw out a little bit here. Acts 14, uh, verse 21 and 22, if you read that, Fred. 
And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Okay, Acts 15, 36. Adam. And after some days, Paul said to remember, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Okay, so let me throw out a few questions. Uh, so what is follow-up to you? What does that mean to you, George? them and helping them succeed uh, in, in the life following Christ. Okay, very good. Loving people, uh, giving your life for them, helping them to succeed uh, as a Christian or following Christ. Someone else, well, what does follow-up mean to you personally? What does that mean when I throw that term out there? Uh, you don't, I don't know, maybe in the selling world you may hear that, but you normally don't. I never did hear that word uh, at the clubs or bars or anything. We need to go follow up on so, someone. I, I, I never did hear that, but uh, Fred, what does that mean to you? Uh, in the beginning, I really didn't uh, look at it as, uh, as positive as it turns out to be. When Richard Salanoa really took time and followed up on my wife and I, or more so me, uh, he was reaching out to me. He was opening a door for me to uh, really pour out some things that was within me that let alone were hidden, but were uh, closed off. Uh, he helped me to actually express myself, to open my heart. So why did you open up to him? Uh, he related to me. We related to each other. We had some things uh, in common. Uh, we both came from uh, an area of the streets that were, you know, kind of uh, related. Okay. He, he came from the opposition that I came from in some way. <laughs> But, but mainly, uh, we could relate to certain things together. We were kind of equally set at that time. Okay, uh, Dave? Typically, sense when you really care about them, when there's genuine concern, and when you're just doing the mechanics of ministry. Because uh, you can go and, you know, go see people, and it's, oh, that's what I'm doing. But when you, you can also go and see people, and you really do care about them, and you're a point of contact also of them coming to understanding what salvation's all about, things in the Bible where they can't raise their hand in church and say, okay, Pastor, what's this, you know, yeah. what's the answer to this question? And out of that concern, when they know that you really care about them, they'll begin to share things with you that they don't share with other people. And one of the things I've found in being effective in, in following up and ministering to people is listening to them. How can you minister to somebody if you can't listen to them? How can you know their needs if you can't listen to their problems and build a relationship with them? And out of that, building a relationship out of a genuine concern, they share things with you, and you're able to share your testimony with them. Well, I went through this, because people yeah. have the same problems, really, yeah. Yeah. throughout life. and. So many things that we've all been through, they're going through too. Maybe different levels, maybe different extremes, but out of that concern and relationship, you can begin to share your testimony, how God brought you through and give them hope 
and you can be that liaison between the church and and uh, and and them. Very good, uh, Caesar. You had your hand up. <clears throat> hey, Pastor, the um, man followed up on me, uh, Martin Fonseca. I had nothing in common with this man. Nothing in common with him, and he's my neighbor, and he'd come over and. I actually didn't like him because he was just so nice. But his kindness, that why he would come over, the way he was, it opened my eyes. And that's what attracted me to believing in him. I was like, there's actually men. There are real people that care, that will give their time. And it was just him, his kindness, his heart. That's what attracted me to, I can see Jesus in him. Yeah, that's, that's, these are all very, very powerful. So why is it so important? Why do we need to follow up on Jesus? Why, why is it so important? Uh, uh, Billy, Benny? Oh, yeah. It's just kind of like having a baby. If you have a newborn baby and you just leave it in the hospital. Is that experience? Just... No, I'm messing with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm messing with you. That's a dream. Uh, speaking of dreams, go ahead. If you just leave it there and don't follow up on the baby, don't, you know, see how the baby's doing, you don't feed the baby, you don't have a relationship with the baby, then something's... So what are you saying there? What are you saying about new converts? New converts, spiritually, they, they're babes in Christ. They, they okay, have that's a grown, true. They have a so what does that mean? And I understand. They're vulnerable. They're very vulnerable. And so it's critical... Somewhere they're going to need you. The, the problem many times, we wait until they're in a crisis, then we want to rush in. And the difficulty, if we haven't built the relationship, they misinterpret that. Uh, Benny, you want to make a statement? Along the same lines, Pastor, one of the things that also is not only they're vulnerable, but they're, they're the, um, one of the things that the devil seems to do is he tries to attack people that are on the fringe or the weak. And so not only are they vulnerable, but they are just because of they're the new birth, they're, they are the prime target for hell. And so they, uh, I've seen so many young new converts just get devoured. Uh, and so the key for follow-up is you can pray for them. You can intercede for them. Yeah. You can fight for them. You can take dominion for them in certain aspects of their lives. So everything you guys are saying is, I'm going to do it in my class this morning, so that's very good. And so God followed up. Now, who can relate that to me? When God followed up. Adam and Eve in the garden. So tell us about it, Dave. He'd walk with Adam and Eve every day, talk about things, and everything was fine until sin came in. Then they didn't want to be in the presence of God anymore. So the, the follow-up was stopped right at that point. Not on God's part, but on Adam and Eve. And then God came and said, where are you? Where are you? I hid. I, I remember hiding from Dion Thompson. Uh, he'd come. Uh, I'd see him coming. I'd say, I'm, tell him I'm not here, Connie. And uh, 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 that was as, actually before I got saved. He was witnessing to me, and I didn't want to see him. But um, uh, here is... Uh, principle, God following up on Adam and Eve. Because uh, what if he hadn't have done that? 
They're hiding. They're covering themselves in false doctrine. Uh, one of the things about new converts is they're subject to false doctrine. Um, a guy was saved here a number of years ago, fantastic convert. Uh, they went to prison, and in prison, the uh, seven-day Adventists uh, got him. He's out of prison now. I hear he's going to a seven-day Adventist church. And I remember he's a powerful convert uh, and et cetera. And so false doctrine uh, is there. Uh, Jesus followed up. Uh, tell me about it, anyone. A couple of, uh, I used a couple of examples where Jesus followed up. Anybody? Uh, Robert? Yeah, but uh, do you recall how uh, Peter had den uh, denied Christ three times? And when uh, Jesus had, uh, uh, was crucified and risen, he saw John, uh, he saw Peter, they had fellowship and dinner and stuff. And right after that, he took Peter along with him, just walking by himself. And he asked him, says, Peter, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord. He said, feed my sheep. He said, Peter, do you love me? He said, yes. Feed my, he said, feed my lamb. Then he said, Peter, the third time, and Peter got kind of disgruntled, you know, and said, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. So what he was actually saying is that, and he told Peter, he said, when you're old, when you're younger, you walked through and did with everything you wanted to do. But when you're older, you're going to be girded and crucified. I'm just speaking, this is paraphrasing, crucified, okay? And he was showing him what kind of death he was going to die. And when he uh, when he, he turned to Pete John and said, "What about this man?" Yeah. And Jesus said, "Don't worry about him. That's none of your business. You do what I tell you to do." Yeah. And on the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up and preached an awesome sermon, and where three thousand people got saved. Right. And so uh, failures doesn't have to mean death. That's one of the thoughts there. Number two. Love covers failure. Uh, Peter, you love me. This will cover your failure. Peter, if you love me, love covers failures. Love overpowers past failures. Love um, uh, takes dominion over failures and etc. And so uh, uh, the issue is developing a relationship with a new believer. And this, as we've already heard, demands a concern. Proverbs seventeen seventeen. if you'd read that. Who had it? Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Okay, a friend loves at all times. People can sense, we've already heard this, if you're genuine, if you're honest, if you're sincere, if you're interested in them. Okay, Philippians 1, 8. For God is my witness, for greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Okay, I long for you with the affection of Jesus Christ. Um, and so uh, uh, prayer, real prayer, will develop honest concern for people. And so the question, and we already heard this thing, Benny said this about prayer. Do you pray for them? Do you pray for new believers and new converts? Because something happens when you pray for people. 
something happens, uh, specifically praying for them, uh, praying about their situation, their circumstances, their struggles, their needs. Uh, in prayer is where you develop a burden for people. And these are people you might not normally choose as a friend. We're talking about someone that uh, you're raised in church, they come from the streets or vice versa or whatever. You may have nothing to do with them, but as you pray for them, uh, uh, there's this concern and this this compassion uh, uh, that overrides and begins to give you a burden. Build your relationship with them around Jesus. And I'm not, as I said, don't be the spiritual heavy. Uh, But this takes effort, wisdom, and time. Uh, Be sensitive. We've already heard this this morning in some of the uh, statements. Uh, in, in, In other words, you're listening to them. You're listening to their situation. You're listening to their struggle, uh, their problem. And at that point, many times, you're able to inject your testimony. uh, And and it's wrapped around Jesus. Uh, This spiritual truth, Jesus will help you. He helped so-and-so. He helped me. This is what happened. God will help you. And and we're not talking about lecturing them or overwhelming them. Uh, We're not talking about smothering them, uh, uh, where you're just on them every second. Uh, But there's a difference between driving people and leading people. Uh, One of the problems in follow-up is uh, if you're not, you'll polarize people that are not ready to be polarized. You come on too strong and too heavy, and you don't give them time to hear the preaching and to be in the house of God. Uh, to experience the the grace of God, the things of God, uh, the presence of God, and you're trying to polarize them, and they're not ready to be polarized. This takes time. You have to remember, they will make mistakes, they stumble, they fall, they sin. Don't take it personally. Uh, Your concern about what's hurting them uh, is the issue, not your ego being hurt. Learn to read their attitude, not just their actions. Don't just deal with the symptoms. Look for the cause of the... In other words, they're, they're struggling and, and you've got to see beyond just uh, uh, the outward or the symptom or uh, what they're telling. And you've got to take the Word of God in testimony and love it and inject that. Uh, this is the real problem. And maybe the lights will come on. And, uh, and so uh, uh, you, you have, this is all involved in follow-up. Remember the things they tell you. Remember their name. Already this morning, I'm forgetting names. Uh, what they're going through, remember their story. People often, they'll, they'll, they'll come for counseling or they call me, and Pastor, you remember what I told you. And uh, one of the things normally I can remember, and I begin to recount what they told me previously, and I can feel that that, that that tells them I was listening. Remember about their family and problems and their life and et cetera, their story. Uh, protect them. In follow-up, um, part of follow-up, you're trying to shield and give them some protection. 
Never, ever, ever, ever bleed on them. Don't contaminate them. With You've had some conflict in the church or some offense or you're upset or something. Never, 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 never bleed on them. Uh, uh, a few years ago, a woman came in my office and she's making a horrible decision. I mean, it was a demonic decision. And she supported that decision by something another woman had spoke to her five years previously at conference that had no doubt laid there dormant in her soul for five years until she needed this to support. And so never, ever, ever bleed on them. Keep them away from the church critic, the goats, the wolves in sheep's clothing. Um, and so you you have that's part of that. In other words, you see uh, someone who's always critical, cynical, talking to them. Go over and and cover the conversation, or uh, uh, people start going in a certain direction. Get them out of there. Say, let's go. Let, uh, let's go. Let's go get something to eat. Let's go. Get them out of that climate because that's deadly. That probably kills more new converts than anything. They're not equipped to deal with it. And they may be family, they may be grown, you may know them, you may even brought them to church. You, you have to shelter them. Uh, Mark 9, 42. But whoever causes the downfall of one of these little ones who believes in me. A little one who believes in me to stumble. It would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Okay. And uh, Proverbs 15, or um, I'm sorry, Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. 16 through 19. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. God says, I hate these things. I hate people who lie, sow discord, proud, etc. And so you have to protect them <clears throat> from people who always uh, uh, have some kind of grievance. They're always bringing up some past conflict. Uh, 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 they, they sow discord, they divide, they, this, that. You have to shelter them and protect them. Always offer a good report. Amen. A good report of the church, of the brethren. Bring to them victory reports. That's, you, they need lots of, of happy juice and band-aids, old Pastor Mitchell sermon from years ago. Uh, they need lots of encouragement. Uh, uh, they just like your baby. When you take your baby home, uh, you don't start. Uh, I hope you don't. Even if you got a three-year-old or four-year-old, you don't dump all kinds of things on them. Uh, this 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 will warp their uh, view of life and etc. And so you got to protect them. George, you have your hand up. Um, I guess through what twelve. Throw it up on the board. Hallelujah. But what it is, and this I share with people and stuff when we come and see our, our job, our goal is to link our hearts, our lives together with other people. Okay. Because we're tangled up together with them in the three, bundle three of fold, life. Twofold, yeah. 
And so it is two or better than one because they shall have a good reward for their labor. Okay, for if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe unto him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, they have heat, you know, and how can one be warm alone? If one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not easily broken. It's like you're talking about, we are defenders of, the, of new converts, no converts alike. We, you know, it's not just limited to new people. But the thing is, is that as we link our lives together, we provide help and aid to them and them to us. Right. You know, and it provides, it, it, it strengthens us, gives <coughs> us reward together, Excuse you know, <coughs> gives us dominion, and uh, it talks about the threefold cord. It's you, your brothers, and the Lord, you know, yeah. and, and it, it, it's a powerful thing because it strengthens the church and it helps, helps people make it. Yeah, these three dynamics, one, when they fall, that's, that's personal problems, personal decisions. The other is climate. Uh, when you get around them, uh, uh, you change the climate. Uh, they're warm. You change the, the temperature of, of their atmosphere. Uh, I'm going to touch on it this morning. Uh, atmosphere uh, creates climate, and climate creates culture. There's a powerful truth in life. Atmosphere creates a climate. Uh, and what that means, uh, in certain climates, uh, I'm going to preach this morning on the spirit of the python, in certain climates, uh, only, only certain vegetation, reptiles, uh, can grow in that climate. And so atmosphere creates climate, and climate creates a culture for things to grow or not to grow. And so when you come around them, when you embrace them, and you begin to link to them, uh, you ought to bring a climate of faith, of joy, of encouragement, of blessing, uh, dominion, vision. Uh, God's going to help you. Listen, God's for you. Because you, who knows what they're living with at home. I have, uh, people come, we, uh, and you no doubt have as well. At home, it's, it's hell. Sometimes they want a place to stay. Because at home there's alcohol, there's drugs, there's there's anger, there's violence, there's everything. and they want to they want to get out of that climate. Well, that's true when you speak to them. And then the other thing's talking about the uh, two can overpower. That's protection. See, and so those three things are there. Uh, you help them up when they fall. Uh, that's their own personal and etc. Angie, I'm sorry. Go ahead. When I first started coming to the church. Um, I was very, very insane. Um, just out of prison, I was a psycho. Um, insane, psycho, out of prison. Okay. <laughs> Sunny, Sunny started, um, she would always come after every service when I was here. Who what? Sunny. Sunny, okay. Um, she'd come and she'd talk to me and pray with me. And um, I was living with my boyfriend at the time. And um, when I got saved, she offered me a place to stay. Um when I started staying with her, um, I was, during this whole, uh, during this whole time that I was coming to church, I didn't know what her occupation was. And she, nobody would you tell me. You didn't know me what? Her occupation. Oh, her occupation. So I, she, I'd tell her, who do you, I, I would always ask, where do you work at? And she'd go, oh, I work for the city of Phoenix. I go, okay, okay. Um, it never hit me 
until I moved in with her. Um, I was unpacking my things, and I go, by the way, where did you say you worked at again? Because I was really nosy. And um, I, she was in her kitchen, and I was in the room, and she goes, um, I'm a police officer. And I stopped unpacking my stuff, and I thought for a minute. I go, I know she did not just say a police officer. <laughs> Here I am, an ex-felon, just out of prison, psycho. And I ran to the kitchen, and I go, did you say police officer? And she goes, I sure did, girl. I go, prove it. <laughs> I go, prove it. She took me into her computer room, and she had all these uh, words and her badge, and I'm like, oh, you are. And then right then and there, I knew that God was real because I'm an ex-felon. She's a police officer. I spent half of my life running from cops, police officers. <laughs> and here I am living with one, and then, you know, it was just, it was, I knew that God was real then because she took me into her home, and she didn't even know me, and I had so many issues. And um, that's what made me believe that God was real. And her following up on me and, and helping me and giving me her home to live in. And then, you know, it was just all a crazy situation, but it turned out really, really great. And I believe that's what made me believe in God. Amen. Let's give the Lord praise. Yes, amen. Hallelujah. So, uh, so do you think, what if she hadn't have taken you in her home? She said she wouldn't be here today. So who are you taking in your home? Who are you following up with? Who do you have over to your house for the week? That might not be here tomorrow if you don't follow up on them today. And that's, that's not convenient. That interrupts your life. We talked one of the sessions about that. It, it, there's a price. There's <clears throat> dynamics. And uh, so who, who are you following up on? You want to be like Jesus? He followed up on the blind man and his family and the religious world. Everybody began to attack him. Followed up on Peter. Who are you following up? Paul talked about going back to these churches. Who will not be here? Who, who, maybe they're going to get saved today at this altar. But they won't be here six months from now unless someone reaches out to them, someone befriends them, someone becomes concerned about them, what they're going through, their life, help them, support them, strengthen them. Are you, are you even care? See, the, the, the reason I'm doing this class, as a church gets larger, you can, you can, you got your own friends, you've got your own culture, relationships, and you can get to the place where, why should I? I've got children, I've got a wife, I've got a husband, I've why, why would I even care about it? Uh, Hector, you had your hand up. Yes, um, when I started coming um, to the church the first time, uh, this couple, uh, Salvador and Estella, um, I, I didn't have a job. I came, and they, they follow up on me. 
you know, the first time we went, we're at uh, Del Taco, and they're like, hey, you know what, I got it. I was like, what do you mean you got it? You, you, you don't know me. You know what I mean? You're just going to pay for my food? I was surprised. I was like, what? You know, what's going on? You know, and then um, from that day, we, me and my wife started seeing the love because my wife's birthday was in July, and they threw us a, li a little birthday party, and we're like, wow, you know, these people do care about us. You know, we, we don't know them, you know. And, and to see that, you know, they did that, it, it, it kind of, um, like, it, it, it kind of um, was uh, what growing on us. It grew on us what, what they taught us, you know, how they cared about us, you know, and now how we follow up on people. And if it wasn't for them, really, I wouldn't be able to do, a, uh, what's it called, the outreach yesterday. Um, I mean, on Friday, I did an outreach for the um, bilingual, and then on Saturday, I did an altar call. If it wasn't for them, I, I, I don't know where I would be. You know, God deserve all the praise, you know, because he has changed people to follow up on us. You know, Christ is living in them, and, you know, that's what all this uh, fellowship is about. So are, are you a convert killer, or are you just, um, uh, you ignore converts? Or do you follow up on converts? What are you in? Let me, let me go ahead and try to cover a little bit more. Several hands up. One of the common problems in... Uh, uh, did anybody get Proverbs 15.30? Did we get that or not? Someone grab that real quick. Uh, uh, Jason, if you get that. Proverbs 15.30. One of the prom common problems in, uh, in follow-up is uh, where they're unwilling to meet with you. This is probably one of the most common, or they're unwilling to come to church. Uh, <clears throat> they've responded to an altar call, uh, but now they don't seem to be responsive. You want to get with them. You want to follow up on them. Uh, you're wanting to befriend them. Uh, you're wanting to get them in church, uh, but they're, they're not responding. And so there may be a number of reasons for this. One is uh, their commitment was insincere. One of the things I've noticed more and more today is emotional responses. Uh, this is an emotional generation. You heard I did the whole sermon on the series on the mind. Uh, it's impossible for a generation to be raised on the media, visual, uh, movies, TV, video, internet, computer, all uh, to be raised visual without being more emotional because it's all in the right side of the brain. Now, the problem is they feel. They feel guilt. They feel troubled. Uh, their emotions are disturbed. They come and pray a prayer, and they feel better. They pray a prayer, and then they get up and feel better, but they have no intention of changing their life or living for God. That's not repentance. That's not conversion. They, they prayed a prayer, and, and a lot of times we don't know. You know, they, they look, I've seen people weep, and I mean, you're thinking, my Lord Jesus, and they never see them again. And so, um, uh, so one is, uh, it wasn't from their heart and their will. They just wanted some relief, but it wasn't genuine repentance. They might have been sorry they got caught and they feel bad. And, um, or maybe they prayed a prayer because somebody pressured them to pray a prayer 
And just to get that person off their back, they prayed a prayer. Uh, but also, there's satanic opposition. This is why you must pray for new converts. There's a satanic opposition. Uh, the demonic world understands this is probably their most vulnerable stage. If hell can rip them off, jerk them out of the kingdom, pull them back into drugs, alcohol, streets, sin, fornication. Uh, at this stage, it's much more simple than at any other stage uh, uh, possibly along the way. They're, they're open to mind hassles at this point. Uh, they, the devil makes them feel uh, this was just a, it wasn't real. All you pray, but that wasn't real. Uh, you're still the same old person uh, or makes them feel foolish. Peer pressure. One of the great, uh, I've told the story. I prayed one night the next morning before anybody, two biker friends of mine showed up. Uh, peer pressure, their family. I'll never forget. I've had experiences here over the years where uh, someone prays, they get delivered, they're being changed um, and, and powerful. And uh, uh, the mother calls me on the phone. I go at it with her on the phone and she says, I don't care. I want him the way he used to be. And uh, uh, family puts pressure to move them. How many times have we seen people get saved and starting to live for God? And all of a sudden, it's Iowa, it's Texas, it's California, it's uh, North Carolina, it's somewhere else. All of a sudden now, uh, uh, there's something, someone calls them. I can't tell you how many horror stories I've heard right here. They call uh, this job, oh, it's God, it's God, it's a blessing, Pastor. They've offered me this job, but they get there, and, and, and uh, the next thing you know, uh, you know, uh, five foot two, eyes are blue, hoochie coochie coochie coo is all over them. And I, I get this phone call, uh, they're backslidden, uh, they, they've fallen back into fornication, and it was a strategy disguised by opportunity. Never move for money. And uh, never move, listen, in, in these kind of dynamics. Uh, uh, and so uh, uh, people are involved, families involved, wives, husbands. I'll never forget, I preached a whole sermon on a call from one of our churches. This guy got saved, going for God, become a disciple, wanted to be like his pastor. And his wife went belitzel because she's threatened by his relationship with her pastor how many times a, a boyfriend unsaved, a girlfriend unsaved, uh, uh, they, they begin to put pressure on them and they don't want them living for God because it's going to affect them. Peer pressure. So you've got to get in there and try to build a relationship. You've got to get in there and try because a lot of times, and, and family, just like the blind man, the family, and then other, uh, I, I, I was sharing this morning, I never, I was amazed when I got saved how many people I partied with wanted me to go to their Baptist church. I'm just telling you the truth. Midwest is filled. First Baptist, Second Baptist, Third Baptist, Free Will Baptist, Northern Baptist, Southern Baptist. I mean, they're unending. And, uh, uh, I, 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 and I'm looking at them. They'd never once told me about Jesus, uh, partied our brains out together, they were lit, but now all of a sudden, well, uh, that's what happens here. Is a lot of times, especially family, that uh, uh, they begin to pull them 
uh, into Catholicism or something, uh, something other than where they got saved. You've got to be there. And sometimes they just don't have a clue. They have no understanding of, of uh, why would I even want to go to church? Why would I want to? I mean, what's the big deal? I feel great. It's fantastic. Jesus has saved me. And glory to God. Uh, and why would I want to change my routine or my life? Uh, uh, why is it even needed? And so uh, uh, you have to, your relationship with them is critical, so critical at this point. So critical. Yes. You had a question or statement? Yeah, I was when I I got saved in Colleen, and um, the people that followed up on me, specifically uh, the wife, she she was different. We had similarities. We were both in the army, but well, she was out, and I was just in. But we were. She could see how different I was in that I just got saved and she had been saved. And so she was very careful with me. And it was so crucial for me at that time because I went through a lot in the first two years of my salvation in trial and error with all the things that I would come into contact with, whether it was demonic or my flesh. And, and I always knew I could just go to her because she wouldn't rebuke me or she wouldn't, you know, try to kill me, like you said, convert killers, she wouldn't say, you know, yeah, you shouldn't be doing that, she followed up on me one time, I had a roommate, he was a guy in the army, and he had lots of friends that always, you know, came over for parties, even though they weren't my friends, she followed up on me one time, a Saturday morning, and, and they were all hung over, and, and they were all sleeping in my apartment, drunk, and she could have easily, you know, been like, you know, you shouldn't have this going on, or you know, she was just always there, and in any problem I had, you know, I knew I could go to her because she was there to listen, and that was so crucial for me because it made me feel comfortable if I did have issues that I needed to ask her, you know, like, is this okay for me to do? I, I knew I could because then she would be honest, you know, as, as long as she thought that, you know, I wasn't going to go off the deep end, and I was still, because I was still coming to church, and I was still, she could see I was involved. So she was just there for me, and that was just so key that when you're, when you care about people, you're not trying to, you know, like you said, bleed on them or tell them everything in the beginning that they need to do, because it takes time for some, and it took me time. I wasn't quick when I first got saved. It took me a little bit, and she, I just knew that I would always go to her, because she would, if nothing else, if she didn't know what to say or didn't want to offend me, she would just say, well, how about we pray? And we would do a salvation prayer, and that would keep me going to the next step. And so that was key. Yeah, it, you never know uh, in the beginnings, just like with babies, you know. They, they may be born, weigh four pounds. Another baby may be born, weigh nine pounds. And, but you don't know how it's all going to turn out down the road. Uh, sometimes those that start slow later down the road kick in, go for God, and excel, and vice versa. And so... Uh, uh, but you, and there comes a place where uh, if, they're, if they're just blowing you off, blowing you off, blowing you off, and you say, hey, you just need to be honest with them. Say, look, look, I'm just trying to help you, but I want you to know I'm not stupid. And I can tell you're just, uh, every time I call you or want to talk to you or get with you, uh, it's always something else. Uh, and so, look, um, uh, 
no problem. If you don't want me um, uh, calling you or contacting you for whatever reason, that's fine. Just, just tell me. And, and at that point, you want to move on to someone who's more responsive. Uh, don't spend your whole life, uh, and I'm not saying just cut them off forever, but I'm saying, look, I'm here for you. If you need me, give me a call, etc. And then maybe a little time later, you check back up on them. But uh, don't, uh, and some people, uh, uh, I mean, the first church I ever pastored, uh, uh, I mean, it was, uh, I took some of the guys a couple weeks ago to Mounds, Illinois. The whole city was on welfare. I was their taxi cab. I was their grocery store. I was their bank. Uh, I, uh, I was their jump their car, uh, fix their, I mean, and, and, uh, and, uh, and, and I, I was, but after a while, I noticed as soon as I wasn't a taxi cab anymore, phew, they're gone. It's, uh, and, and so uh, you're not there to be a, a socialistic uh, government to them. Uh, you're there to help them. And I'm not saying you never give them a ride. We heard about uh, Eunice and a- I'm not saying that. But I'm saying uh, they, you can't let them just bleed the life God out of you till you have nothing to give anyone else. And there's one thing that's spiritual. Uh, the other thing is uh, if uh, all they're looking for uh, is a free ride and uh, you, you look like the latest candidate. And so, um, uh, but you never know who's going to make it. You never know who's going to make it for God. Be open and praise the Lord. God bless you. We'll pick it up next Sunday.